endowments just tie up cash? Or do they? That could be one of the myths of fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by Dr. Jen Shaker. She's an alum of the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, where now she serves on our academic faculty. She's one of our leading researchers, discovering new knowledge all the time, and is a much sought after faculty member for the Fundraising School. And the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy had an article, The Eight Myths of Philanthropy, that was published in the Stanford Social Innovation Review. That article is linked to our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. And Jen, one of those myths, and we hear this often, especially in higher ed, is those endowments, the money is just staying in a vault somewhere, maybe in grocery bags in somebody's basement. <laughs> it's somehow tied up, it's not being used. And that's a myth. Help our audience understand that. Well, endowments are key to, to long-term sustainability of organizations. And so when you have that endowment, so we know what an endowment is, mm -hmm. right? It's a core of money that is invested and then the interest from that is used to sustain programs over time. And sometimes it's sustaining important programs that your organization has, um, scholarships, research, uh, uh, educational programs, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. And other times, or in addition, endowments are really helping out with the nitty gritty, the non-glamorous, right? Like how do you keep the doors open mm -hmm. for your organization? How can you commit that you are going to have a schedule of plays next year and the year after and the year after, right? So you need to have staff for that, you need to have pay the heat bill, you need to write the productions or purchase the, the copyright. So all of those things, endowments are allowing you to think beyond the right now, in many cases, and to the future. If I understand you correctly then, the endowment isn't tying up cash, the endowment is living, it's organic, it is constantly producing. This sounds like a very active way for a donor to continue their impact. Yes, right. So donors who want, who care about an organization and want to be sure that it will be there in 10 years, serving the mission in their community, those donors are sometimes the ones who think of the endowment as the possibility to do that. Or who want to create a scholarship for um, a student in need, mm -hmm. and they don't just want it to happen this year, they want it to happen in 15 years. And they want to be sure that, that those students will be supported in the future. So those are the donors who are giving those endowments and really thinking about the long-term future of the organization and the mission, the people, the purposes that it serves. One of the reasons you're such a great faculty member for us, both on the academic side and in our executive education and the fundraising school, is certainly your academic and research credentials, but also your frontline fundraiser. You've been fundraising for a couple of decades now, including in higher education. Mm -hmm. So take us to those meetings. How do you know, and I know every donor is different, but I wonder if you could yeah. summarize, how do those donor cultivation meetings go where suddenly maybe we're talking about an endowment? Is that something that the donor often brings up? Is it something through active listening you're sort of picking up cues on? Maybe you know ahead of time that's part of the plan because I'm sure folks in our audience are wondering, hmm, I've never done this before. What does that conversation look like with a prospective yeah. donor? Well, I think that sometimes, you know, you have a donor who maybe is supporting the same thing year after year. And mm -hmm. I was just talking to a donor like this, this mm -hmm. week actually, and they had been giving a scholarship at a similar level for several years, and they really were committed to doing this. And in that case, the fundraiser um, suggested it to them, have you thought about doing this as an endowment? 
so that this can happen every year. And this would be great for the students. This might be great for you too, in terms of what matters to you. And so I think a lot of times it just comes as a natural part of the conversation from listening to the donor, being aware of their giving history, and really thinking about what's good for the organization, but what's good for the donor too. Right, because this really may be something the donor hasn't even thought about as a way to extend their impact to the future. And so the potential donor for an endowment or an operational reserve, which we're gonna talk about here in just a moment, is a donor who's interested in longevity, a donor interested in, in long-term continuity, uh, even when they're lo no longer with us in this world. In some ways that endowment right. is a form of a planned gift, not technically and legally, but in practice, that's what's happening. As they're saying, unless the market crashes and everything goes to zero, that number is going to be there generating uh, you know, financial resources mm -hmm. for the organization moving forward. And Jen, you know, what's also true is some donors are not interested in an endowment. Right. And you know, for example, I know in higher education, we also love those annual gifts mm -hmm. because there are bills that need to be mm -hmm. paid today. Mm -hmm. And so this is really up to the donor, not the fundraiser, if we're going in this endowment direction. Right, right, and I've had those conversations too where perhaps we were talking about we went into it thinking maybe this would be an endowment but then really listening to the donors and what they were hoping to achieve with the amount of money that they were able to contribute at that time it became clear that that didn't make sense for them right and so that's fine too and so that really just came out of conversation and in fact I've been in this one who said you know I don't think an endowment is the right thing for what you want to achieve. And so I, you can have those conversations as well. It's a typical fundraising skill, active listening, empathy, emotional intelligence, and going where that donor wants to go, consistent with our fundraising plan and our mission. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm not in higher education or maybe yeah. the large medical facilities where we, you know, we hear about these endowments. I can tell you my own fundraising career. I started at a nonprofit that had zero, no <laughs> savings account. Uh, when I left, uh, nearly 20 years later, thanks to a wonderful team, an engaged board, generous donors, we had about $3 million in operating reserves in the bank, yeah. uh, which generated interest that our board allowed us to use each year mm -hmm. for the operating fund. So Jen, we, we need to be clear here, you know, universities use the word endowment, every nonprofit can strive to have an operational reserve. Help us that understand that true. further. That is true, and in fact, in the article we talk about the Ford Foundation's uh, build grants and their build program and so those are are that is long-term five-year support for social justice organizations across the country and the the organizations were able to make choices about how they used the, that funding. And one thing that many of them chose to do was to create an operating reserve. And so that funding couldn't be put in an endowment, that was a stipulation, but it could be put in an operating reserve. And so that reserve maintains the flexibility that the organizations can use the money if they need to use the money, but they can invest it and treat it rather like an endowment and grow it themselves in various ways. And so that's an important uh, avenue that nonprofits can also try to follow um, using various sources of income, right? So you could, you could use um, uh, money that you receive for services, right? Mm -hmm, and begin mm -hmm. to use some of that to yep. build a reserve, for example, in addition to philanthropic dollars, right? That were unrestricted right. that you can dedicate to that kind of purpose. 
Jen, help our audience understand how planned giving does fit into this. Uh, you know, planned giving does need to be part of our fundraising plan, regardless of the size of your nonprofit, regardless of the size of your budget, regardless of whatever subsector you're in uh, within philanthropy. All of us, at the very least, can be talking with our especially long-term mm -hmm. donors mm -hmm. about their wills, mm -hmm. about their insurance policies, where we can be named as a beneficiary, about their retirement plans. Should they pass away and there's still money in that plan, we can be named as a beneficiary. All of us can be engaged, at the very least, with that type of planned giving. And planned gifts, I don't know if they ever go into operating. They almost always go into some sort of an operating reserve or an endowment. How does planned giving fit into this as we think yeah. about this long-term sustainability for yes. nonprofits? Well, I mean, in my experience, as you mentioned, which was, was in higher education, I did a lot of planned gifts for endowments. And so that was common. And, but sometimes another thing that I did was a kind of a combined gift. So for example, we might do a planned gift that would endow a program, but then the donor might also make gifts in their lifetime for annual support to get it going earlier. And so scholarships are a prime example of that. Sometimes we endowed a scholarship through an estate plan or through a retirement assets, uh, whatever the case may be, but then the donor made an annual gift so mm. we could start offering that scholarship right away. And so that was a common thing that we did, the combination. And that worked great. That met annual current needs and also told us that, that we'd be able to continue that in the future. So operating reserves for all nonprofits, that could be trying to aim towards a budget surplus. Don't chuckle, it's possible uh, if you, you know, are able to plan your expenses and your fundraising in ways, and that's what we did in my experience, mm -hmm. is just have that operating surplus every year that then went into the bank. I'm not suggesting it's easy, but it is possible. Uh, or we have donors who say, I would like to create uh, this permanent fund. I'd like to create this endowment. I'd like to make a planned gift for a specific purpose. How important yeah. is a written gift agreement when we're working with these donors yeah. because tomorrow I'm on to the next thing, life happens, now it's a year later, it's 10 years later. Help us understand the importance yeah. of a gift agreement. I, I would say it's a must, yeah. that it's not an option, that you need that written documentation that both establishes uh, your policies as the organization and um, documents for you what the donor has in mind. And so, that it's not optional. And, and you know, a lot of times donors don't really understand that necessarily, especially when it comes to those planned gifts. So they will might say to you, well, it's in my plan, it's in my estate, this is happening. And so there's some donor education that needs to happen in a lot of cases, just to invite them to have that conversation with you. Let's put this in our records so that we make sure that we get it right when that time comes. And, you know, we hope that's going to be far in the future and, and I may not be here anymore. Right. And so the organization needs to have that documented in writing so we can give, you know, your gift the proper care. And so, you know, that is, that's a fruitful and really positive conversation to have with a donor, I think. And it really shows that you care about them, them and their wishes, not just their gift going forward. And again, as you said so well, it's a way to ensure to the donor that we are going to be proper stewards of this wonderful, generous gift uh, to make sure as time passes, we all still know 
uh, why you are, were generous in this way. And if this is a new concept to you, there are templates available. We can provide them from the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Uh, you might, uh, if you have a community foundation in your area, sometimes they have some templates to share. So uh, maybe you have some legal advice on your board, they can steer you in the right direction. It doesn't have to be a complicated document, just something very straightforward so everybody remembers why this gift was made. So endowments, they don't tie up cash. They're very active in continuing to support the organization into perpetuity. If you don't have an endowment, you can still strive for an operational reserve that can help fund uh, your, uh, with unrestricted income, your operations moving forward. Uh, planned giving can also be a component of this as well. Again, that Eight Myths uh, fundraising article from the Stanford Social Innovation Review written by Dr. Shaker and many of our other faculty is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. Now, if you add forward slash and the fundraising school or look at the top toolbar, find professional development, you'll see a drop down menu. That's where you find the fundraising school with 20 public courses in 18 U.S. cities, as well as the three certificates we now offer. We also have custom training that we designed specifically for your nonprofit, your association, your region, uh, your area, your community. We can design that specifically for you. We have quarterly webinars and, of course, these free podcasts all available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. With Dr. Jen Shaker, I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and you are now more fully informed on this first day from the Fundraising School.